Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by The Bookshelf, Pizza Trocadero, The Long Winter Festival, and CFRU 93.3 FM, which you can learn more about at their respective websites, bookshelf.ca, trocaderoguelph.ca, torontolongwinter.com, and cfru.ca. It's an episode of The Long Night with Vish Khan, a talk show, recorded before a live audience in Toronto on Friday, December 2nd, 2016. Welcome. It's year five of Long Winter. This is volume one. We're coming to you live from the Polish Combatants Hall in Toronto, Ontario. My name is Vish, and this is, by the way, the season premiere of Long Night. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for being here. Uh, Tonight's episode is going to take the uh, form of a roundtable discussion, and I'm going to introduce our guests in just a moment. But I do want to frame this because I think you've heard pundits and people on the street say that this year was terrible, right? Have you heard that, that people think the year was really bad? Well, tonight we're going to delve into that and we're going to answer the question, was 2016, or is, in fact, 2016, one of the worst years in human history? And not to spoil anything, the answer is yes. So let's introduce our our panelists right now. Over here... John Semley is a books columnist at the Globe and Mail and the author of This is a Book About the Kids in the Hall. John Semley, everyone. John, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, everyone, for applauding uh, and for coming. Vish, how are you? I'm well. You're not used to applause? Uh, No, when I leave a room, maybe. (laughs) Uh, It's nice to have you here. And John's new book, by the way, is fantastic. The Kids in the Hall book. Vish reviewed it for the Globe and Mail. That's true, Uh, I did. We're just going to smooch each other's butts Some collusion here. here. Yeah, no, it's great. All right, thank you for being here. Where is Aaliyah? Aaliyah Pavani is the host of the Imposter, Canada Land's arts and culture podcast, and she's also an artist in her own right. How about a hand for Aaliyah? Thank you. Hi, Aaliyah. Hi. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, we've never met. But well, we met earlier in the well, green room. We met in the green room. Yeah, you're already correcting me. I have a, a feeling that's, that's how this is going to go. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Mike, thanks for having me. Who do we have next here? Oh, Jill Krajewski is a social media producer at Vice and a contributor to Noisy, where she's written notable pieces, including The Noisy Guide to Making Your Damn Venue Inclusive. How about a hand for Jill? Hi, Jill. How's it going? Good, how are you? Pretty good. Feels good to be the token Polish panelist at uh, Polish Combatants Hall. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know I'd done that. That's yeah. amazing. Well now, planned. I have to say, and I don't know if this is a stereotype, but I was disappointed. No pierogies tonight. Yeah, it's a travesty. Travesty. Have you had the pierogies here before? I haven't, which is another travesty. <laughs> You're a bit of a sellout, aren't you? A little bit. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I've had the, Has anyone had the pierogies here? No one? They're fantastic. They're great pierogies. I had them once, and they're, they're really great. Anyway, Jill, thank you for being here. Uh, Freddie. Freddie. Freddie Rivas Hi. is a, a talented comedian and puppeteer and is well-respected for hosting rap battles in Toronto. Freddie Rivas, everybody. Freddie. Hi, everybody. Hi, Vish. Nice to see you, Freddie. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's rare to have someone return to the show. I know. I'm back for the pierogies. <laughs> oh. 
I mean, no, and you. Like, and, okay, yeah. Yeah, and, and the fun experience. Bad news about the pierogies. Anyway, it's nice to have you here. And finally, Laura Hermiston is the driving force behind the Toronto band Twist, who are playing tonight. And uh, Twist's uh, new album, Spectral, is out now on Buzz Records. How about a hand for Laura? Laura? Yeah. Nice to have you here. Thanks. Have you ever been on a panel before? No. How do you feel? Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's about the best you can feel, really, when you're on a panel. I'm doing amazing so far, thanks. Have you ever wanted to be on a panel? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. So we're making dreams come true. I don't talk true. enough on stage, so. Are you not a banterer? No. <laughs> you could have fooled me. All right. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to take a look back at uh, 2016, which still exists. And I thought the uh, one way to get a sense of where we all sit with 2016 was for each of us to maybe talk about it from the perspective of, of just describing it in one word. Just one word. What does 2016 make you think of? Let's start with Freddie. Freddie? Okay, uh, one word. I would say harrowing. Heroin? No, he <laughs> harrowing, like it's been... Oh, harrowing. Yeah, harrowing. Okay. Heroin, for me it's been about heroin. It's been about yeah. a whole year. Yeah, a whole year. Just uh, every strung month. out on heroin. Every week, every day, man. It's That's good. not good. That's no. not good. Heroin, can you elaborate a little bit? Why has it been harrowing? I feel like it's been, uh, you know, it's been pretty relentless um, as far as, you know, bad news, deaths. I mean, there's also been lots of good stuff. I feel like it's just been very full and uh, exhausting. Right. Just like if you were doing heroin. Yeah, yeah exactly. Probably. Yeah. Probably shouldn't make heroin jokes. Okay. Fair. Uh -huh. Aaliyah, same question. 2016 in one word. Uh, sinkhole. Sinkhole? Yeah. Why? Why is this? We have harrowing and now sinkhole. Why sinkhole? Because it just kind of reminds me of how I imagine standing on a landmass that would become a sinkhole would feel. Like you just start to notice like cracks in the ground beneath you, and then just the sheer amount of like content that just disappears into oblivion in like a small amount of time is just like overwhelming. Wow, that is a sinkhole. Yeah, that is true. Have you ever felt like this after another year? Is this the most sinkholey of the years that you've experienced on Earth? Yeah, I think so, but it's also like a combination of like how my own life has gone in relationship to everything. So I feel like it's been a pretty good year for me personally. Right. No sinkhole. No. <laughs> so it's just like the difference between those two things that made it feel more extreme. I That's think. kind of what a sinkhole is like though, right? You're on steady ground, yeah. having a normal day, yeah. and then sinkhole. <laughs> so that's, that, that's good. That's very apt. Thank you very much. All right, Jill, uh, 2016 in one word. I would say realizing, and that's, that's after our modern Nostradamus, Kylie Jenner, accurately predicting that 2016 would be the year of realizing things. Realizing? And you're quoting Kylie Jenner. Modern Nostradamus. I mean, she got it right. We've realized so much this year, for better and for worse. Okay, that's fair. I think that's probably fair. All right. Laura, do you have a, a word to describe yeah. 2016? Um, backwards. 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 Uh, that's, um, I, I can see where you're going with this, and I can hear the beeping sound. Can you describe what you mean by backwards? Environmentally, politically... Socially, like people's opinions coming out, how they really feel. Everyone, I feel people, the prejudice of what people believe is coming out and it feels like we are moving backwards. That's fair. I think that's fair. And we'll get into maybe why that's happened. It also, I think maybe, and I don't want to dwell on this too much, but is it also, do you feel like we're going backwards because for a long time now it's felt like we were moving forwards? Sure, like way too fast. That's interesting. Yeah. We've been going too fast. Well, I don't, I don't think we've been going too fast. Maybe like it would tech. I have, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> we'll stick with backwards. Okay. All right. No, that's fair. All right. Now, uh, John. Yeah. One uh, word. Uh, whoosh. Not to be as downbeat, but uh, yeah, morning, I guess. Like with a U. Is everybody up uh, for a uh, fun night in Toronto? Yeah. <laughs> Friday night. Yeah. Let's hear it for death and disillusionment. Morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, but more in a political sense, I mean, the celebrity deaths... Don't I mean? Oh, David Bowie was freed from having cancer, and uh, Muhammad Ali was escaped from his prison of a body. Like that doesn't make me that sad. And 
but just the Brexit and Trump and Trudeau, I don't know. I remember a year ago sitting on a picnic table with friends and being like, oh, in a year it's going to be Jeremy Corbyn, Tom Mulcair, Bernie Sanders. Uh, and then I learned to like never not be cynical about it stuff it again. Wow, well, that's good that you had high hopes. I'm sorry they didn't go your way. They never do. That's why you should never have high hopes about anything. <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave you with that message, and uh, good night, everyone. No, it is bad. It is bad. Now, I have been uh, really, like a lot of people, I don't know about everyone on this panel, but the uh, last few months in particular, I've been hyper-focused on the American election, and the result was uh, really hard for me. How did that wash out? What was the result of it? Did you not hear what happened? I was kidding. Okay. But what I was going to say is that as a Canadian, I periodically would think, man, I'm really hyper-focused on America. And on some level, that was true. I kind of missed out on some stuff that happened here. And I wondered if anyone on the panel would like to talk a little bit about how they were feeling about Canada, about Justin Trudeau, about how we relate to what's going on in America. Does anyone have any... Thoughts on this? Jill, you seem like you have something you want to say. Yeah, there's definitely a Canadian smugness, especially from people of privilege, where I've seen publications like The Walrus run these glowing, la la la, there's nothing wrong up here at all, like kind of editorials. And then you see swastikas being tagged on doors of uh, religious buildings in Ottawa. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Actually, a about? residence, yeah. a, a, a rabbi's residence was tagged, yeah. Yeah, like I, I'm so over those meanwhile in Canada jokes that you see on Twitter where it's like, oh, Justin Trudeau's hugging pandas. We don't have racism. No, no, no. We were also viewed, I mean, I did pay attention to some stuff. We were also viewed very favorably for our acceptance of Syrian refugees. That was something we were credited for. And, and Trudeau went and met them at the airport and stuff like that while other nations were like, no, you know? I mean, was that a source of pride for anyone? Was that political posturing? What did you think, John? I'll say this about Canada. Obviously, uh, Trudeau's terrible, uh, but it's such a weird thing where you look at the world, and especially if Marie Le Pen wins the French election, it's like, oh, the last bastion of liberal democracy is going to be like Canada and Germany, of all places. Uh, so I, I think that like maybe so much badness has happened that people have learned to be more critical about it. Uh, and, you know, Trudeau coming out of the woods with no shirt on and like saying yes on BuzzFeed like makes me want to vomit. Um, when he's like selling arms to Saudi Arabia where right. like women are, have been legally allowed to drive for like two weeks. Uh, so, but I don't know. I think, I, I, I don't want to be smug like that. I agree. There is a total smugness. But I think we have a responsibility. We actually have a place, if, if not of pride, that of responsibility in defending something. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Does anyone else uh, think that Trudeau is terrible, as John said? Freddie, do you have an opinion on Justin Trudeau? Yeah, Trudeau's? I think he is pretty terrible. It's been tough to digest, uh, you know, after his campaign, which, uh, you know, I think he ran on a lot of, uh, you know, similar platforms to Obama with, like, hope and optimism. And um, I personally voted NDP, but I still was optimistic um, in some regard, especially, you know, during the honeymoon period with Trudeau and... It seemed like he was about to, I don't know, undo some of Harper's evil doings, but uh, that definitely didn't happen, and um, he seems to be doubling down on all the wrong things right now. Yeah. And um, just to hop onto a point that I heard earlier, um, it's frustrating that uh, Canada has this kind of like angel complex when we compare ourselves to the U.S., because we just have so many glaring, obvious problems that we shouldn't ignore. And we do have a duty to pay attention to what's going on in the U.S. Um, and be frustrated by it and be angry and protest. But at the same time, there's lots to get angry about here. And uh, we should be getting angry about both. I agree. Thank you, Freddie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a tepid applause for that. Yeah. We weren't little, sure how to little, feel. Yeah, a little tepid angriness. <laughs> Aaliyah, do you have any thoughts on Canada uh, in the year 2016? Yeah, I mean, one of the things to touch on what Jill was saying about um, racism in Canada, I would say that one of the things I'm concerned about is, you know, there's so many instances of overt racism, and I've heard talk among the left of people talking about how we need to, like, 
abandon the discourse around difference in the left and like unify against the right. And while I agree that we need to be more strategic and, and certain people among the left like need to take the responsibility for engaging like the right wing and the overtly racist people in discussions about things like why they think multiculturalism is a failed experiment, for instance, or questions like that, I would say that we need to not abandon all the gains we've made in Canada and thinking about um, how to have a progressive movement that prioritizes the voices of indigenous people and black people and not just kind of knee-jerk say that we need to be more unified and we need to be as unified as the right is because unified means going back to like um, progressive movements like they were in the 90s where it was like certain voices at the front. Well put, thank you very much, that's great. Laura, do you want to talk a little bit about what it meant to be Canadian in this year? Do you have thoughts on that? Because you're, you're a musician, and I know that one of your concerns about living in this country was actually traveling as a musician yes, these days, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And that's been complicated for you going into the States. They've Right, yeah. Well, it's easier for Americans to come to Canada and play, 100%. But in general, like immigrating to America is harder. Yeah. But for musicians this year, they've increased the application by 42%. Yeah, it's expensive and, to go across. Yeah, and I just don't know why they increased it. Um, well, they have a whole campaign about how they don't want people coming into their country anymore. Particularly yeah. dirty, they th people they think are dirty and have yes. like, you know, <laughs> subversive ideas or, you know, musicians, mostly. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah, thanks. That's who I but think. But if you're like a piece of lumber, it's like, come on in, no tariff. Right. Uh, enjoy America. Yes, exactly. But if you're a human yeah. being. Lumber is always welcome. Yeah, or yeah. petroleum. You just need like a band that's made out of lumber. Somehow. A band that's made out of lumber. Yeah, you need, we okay. need to have like automated inanimate objects that have resource value that play music. That's the answer. Sick, yes. <laughs> All right, you going to yeah. work on that? Uh, yeah. Twist side project? Yeah, totally. We'll feel more welcome. One of the things that I became really aware of, like I'm listening to what all of you said and there was uh, some really heartening words, but I, I do think that one of the things that I was blindsided by as someone who follows a lot of comedians and people who were mocking what was happening in America, like you were talking about the smugness, is I think that we were so smug and so sure that Trump was going to lose that we were blindsided by it and then when this wave, some of us, I'm not saying all of us, and then when this wave of, of hate crimes occurred in Canada in the subsequent, in the last few weeks, people were like, oh my God, I didn't think that was a thing. And I think that was a real wake-up call, wasn't it? I mean, that this notion that this exists and it's real, it's not just a bunch of lefties supposedly complaining about a thing that is like a monster under the bed. So this wake-up call, it's like a global wake-up call, isn't it? We were all too busy posting David as pumpkins memes to realize what was happening. We were just riding that wave of liberal Twitter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I had a friend who was like, what can I do to help in America? And she's a journalist. I'm like, move to Kentucky and become a school teacher. Right. Like, I don't know. Don't post John Oliver eviscerations to like nine people who already agree with you. Yeah, so there seems to be an awakening in that sense, isn't it? Like we all live in our little bubbles and we weren't really aware of the other bubbles. You know, I think that's how bubbles work. Is there a bubble specialist here? I don't know. It just seems like we were kind of like, oh, all my friends are saying the thing that I think, so everything's cool. And we were blindsided by it. And I wonder what we have to do. What do we do as Canadians to keep, because that's what it was. A lot of misinformation, lack of education, lack of information. And what do we do as people who think we know what we're doing? How do we do it? We have panels, I guess. <laughs> Right? We should have more panels. Are there any virulent racists here who we can convert? Yeah. Because that would be super productive. Is anyone racist? Anybody? It's okay. Save space. I know you're not a fan. That's the other thing, though. If you should bring up an interesting point with this alt-right stuff, and already, like, feckless liberals are like, well, we should hear these people out. Everyone should be allowed yes. to have an opinion. And it's like, go, no, you should not. You should go die in a hole. Like, what are you talking about? There's, I, yeah. It's I, like, I, I hate you, and I hate your whole way of life. And it's like, well, uh... The dictates of decorum state that we should listen to what they have to at say. The, at the same time, though, I think we need to like drop the condescension and yeah. realize that we have been having like conversations among ourselves. And when I say that, like certain people need to take up the cause in different ways. I think that the people who feel safe to have those discussions 
and actually take on people with these like very right-wing beliefs like need to actually step up and do that and do that publicly and do that often and intervene in situations in public when they see this kind of thing happening and I think we need to just like not sit around and wait for like this um, kind of thing to happen here and actually start building a plausible alternative I think we need to start like getting involved in organizing people who like among us who like you know we we've been involved in discourses among our friends on social media for a yeah. while and i think we need to start thinking about where we could actually like put boots on the ground to use a military metaphor well, it, it is complicated because i mean I, li I i live as some of you know i live in guelph ontario shout out for guelph no you're not going to cheer this next part here's what happened <laughs> I'm, I work at the University of Guelph, and I go downstairs to get uh, probably a muffin. I have a sweet tooth. Anyway, there's a white kid sitting on, like, the bleachers, and he's wearing a Make America Great hat, like, two days after the election. And I was like, that's a hate crime. That was my initial response. I didn't want to be like, hey, man, what are you doing? I didn't want to talk to him. In fact, I wanted to avoid him. I kind of took a different route. Me and my muffin went for a little jaunt back up to my office. <laughs> And I avoided that guy. So on some level, like, I was just so shocked. And then, and then also, in keeping with what I was saying earlier, my mind was like, oh, he's probably wearing it ironically, maybe like a fashion statement, just to be shocking. But no, he's like a white guy. He probably meant it. Here, he lived in Guelph. He wanted to make America great again. And your feelings are valid, too. I mean, a lot of people right from the red hat feel triggered in the U.S. that all of a sudden, oh, damn, it's a Trump supporter. Should I just turn the other way? And LP have run the jewels who are doing amazing work in their activism right now. LP is dropping his red hats. He's seen the feedback from fans uh, that they're... Oh, just hats that are red? Yeah, just because that symbol itself, just like your experience, a lot of people just feel uncomfortable immediately. It's become associated with a symbol of white supremacy and bigotry. Right. So, honestly, that's good to always keep in mind, not just what your headspace is, but think of how other people will be affected by all of these posters saying, hey, if you're not white, go home and check on your friends of color or who are queer and ask how they're doing. Uh, as Vicky had a great column in Metro recently where she was being berated by someone as being reverse racist, which does not exist. Racism is about power dynamics. You can't be racist against white people. That's not how it works. Anyway, one what of if I am in my car and I back into a bunch of white people? <laughs> am I being a reverse racist? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's karma for those people. <laughs> I got booed. I deserved it. It was a bad joke, I know, that's why I said it. Sometimes you gotta make a bad joke, I'm getting heckled. Anyway, yeah, no, I, my point is that I think it's easier said than done. Confronting people when, the confronting, that's just it, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. The guy made, it's un-Canadian, someone says in the audience, maybe that's true. Yeah, I th and I think there's this want to, like for civil discourse and to find a common ground. But, you know, with the current landscape of things, there isn't a lot of common ground to right. find, so I think it's kind of about mobilizing and protesting and talking with each other and finding ways to, yeah, fight back because... But again, I don't mean to harp on this because someone else pointed out that it's very difficult to actually engage people in these conversations. Yeah. There is such a level of information mistrust on both sides now that I'm finding it very difficult. Like if you say a fact, post fact, that is a thing that people say now, post-truth and post-fact. They don't trust, no one trusts anyone. Yeah. And it's put us in a, it's like a stalemate. And I don't know how to do, I don't know how to engage with someone if they're just like, no, that's just not true. But you're like, no, it is true. And then they could say the same thing. And I could be like, that's not true. They're like, no, it is true. Like, it's just like a Yeah, I think like blaming the media is working for both sides. Yeah, it's frustrating. Maybe like good left-wing propaganda, like YouTube videos with like explosions and stuff. Like we need to think of other ways to articulate things like appeals to the emotion yeah, or something that is like not factual. That's a great idea. I just think like our media could be a little lower level. Like I have a cousin who's like, who is like a card carrying member of the conservative party and anti-immigrant at age 10. Your cousin? Yeah. Brown cousin? My brown cousin whose parents are immigrants. Um, and the reason is because he read newspapers that spoke at his grade level. Oh, right. 
And honestly, we laugh about it, but I'm like, you know, I, well, that's after, what, after yeah. Trump, I really thought about how much shit I don't understand and pretend that I understand. Right, right, <laughs> right. We want to seem smarter than we are. Yeah. And uh, the people who have voted in certain ways are now sick of it. They're, sick, they're rejecting what they see as snobbery and the intellectual class. But then I'm also conflicted, and I, I can understand that sentiment, but I'm also like, then what are we, how are we supposed to, like they, people often say, I don't understand, I often said, I don't understand what Hillary Clinton is saying to me. I understand everything that Trump is saying to me. And meanwhile, most experts were like, Trump is speaking to people on a sixth grade level. So then, right. what does that mean? Like, how do you... But the, the canary in the coal mine has been, like, pooched for a while. I mean, people are writing books about, like, anti-intellectualism in American life circa, like, Eisenhower. Right, right. But then the problem is only intellectuals read those books. Uh, so I think now we're too far in to be like, listen, anti, maybe you should look at some facts about great immigrants who have invented things. Uh, well, maybe Aaliyah's, it's like, if Aaliyah's you see a swastika yeah. in your neighborhood, don't call 311 to get the city to clean it up. Like, cut out a stencil and go spray paint over top of it and say, you're not welcome here. Fuck off. I hate right. you. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe there has to be a bit more of that. Like, sorry, I'm like bubbling up mad. Uh, no, we're getting angry. I can't stand civility, man. If, if, if it's like a fight between civility and barbarity, barbarity it will win every time. Well, now I'm scared. I'm not very strong. <laughs> it's, it's Hit the weird. gym. I feel like... Sorry. Hit the gym? Is that what you said? I didn't say hit the gym. I... So, all right. That's a solution. Hit the gym. Fine. I probably should hit the gym. I feel so that like... my wife, by the way? Who said that? <laughs> sorry. Aaliyah, you were saying? No, I just feel like I also need to feel like I need to mention that this election has been spoken about as like something that has to do with class more than it actually did. So, really? Yeah, like people are blaming Trump on the white working class and like exit polls are showing that that's not really the case, that the fact of it is that the Democrats lost more than Trump won and they like they had so many supporters above a certain income bracket. So when we talk about like dumbing things down, I don't think that's really as big of a issue as people are making it. Well, we say dumbing things down. We talk about uh, decorum, I think a little. When, I, I'm sorry. What I was going to say is I've also heard political correctness invoked. And I feel like some of this stuff is coding for just decency, treating people fairly, treating people right. I mean, I feel like there's been an attack on the sensitivity to other people's cultures and perspectives. I didn't mean to cut you off, by the way. No, no, that was just, that was, there, was, there was nowhere for that to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, do, do we feel that, that specter of political correctness being kind of passe here? Or has it been overblown? Does anyone have any thoughts on political correctness? I find that anyone who's saying, oh, that's just people being too PC, too PC, and to, to the point earlier about coded language, political correctness is really just a shield for people who are in the status quo, who come from a place of privilege, and if they feel it slightly slipping away that they're being made equal, they're viewing it as I'm being made lesser. So for someone who's like a white male to say like, to make, I don't know, a joke about like, Chinese people eating cats in a Chinese restaurant, as a member of my family did recently. I was like, that is so not cool to say. And they were like, oh, that's just being too PC. Well, no, it's just being decent. Right. That's where I'm going with it. And I feel like all of this discussion about political correctness is going to lead to, like, I, I feel it like walking down the street now. I feel like people are looking at me a bit differently. And I don't know if that's just me feeling overly sensitive, but I do feel it. I feel it when I, you know, take my kids to the pool and I, I live in a white town. It's pretty much all white. Yeah. And I've, I'm, I'm, I had it this week. I had the sensation that someone might say something to me that maybe five weeks ago they might have kept to themselves. And I think that's a thing that we have to deal with. People definitely seem emboldened. And I think, um, you know, jumping on a, a point I just heard as well, like a lot of people are thriving off of the or have been thriving off of the current power structure and, and the fact that um, their privilege is being challenged, they're fighting back with all of the power they have. Yeah. So we're seeing how ugly and gross and violent and racist and sexist that actually is. And um, you know, something like Brexit or Trump is, yeah, is giving, is giving these awful parts of our society momentum. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, and then I think we've alluded to this already, but just to revisit it, 
This stuff that we're talking about, we've mostly used examples from, you just invoked Brexit, we've been talking about America a lot. I, does everyone here on the panel feel like this is something we as Canadians should be concerned about? We as people who live in this city, a multicultural city like Toronto? Yes. I mean, I live in Guelph. Yes. And are, Anonymous, we, yes. and are we seeing it? Are you seeing examples of... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Of, of bad stuff happening? I'm not seeing man. My life's so fucking easy. Uh, <laughs> but like other people are probably. But I'm like trying to think about it and like talk to people about it and stuff. Yeah. People talk about privilege and it's like people do get pissed off and it's like, if you're a white guy, it's like if you're playing Mario Kart and you're like three laps ahead and then someone nails you with a blue shell and like trips you up and you're like, oh shit. Uh, but it's like, you're still way ahead, you know? It's a good, it's a good analogy, I think. Okay, I just, I just want to raise it because I, I, I'm experiencing, I'm feeling it myself and I, I'm, I'm sorry for us, but I think we need to, we need to fight. We need to fight back. Right? Agreed. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you need yeah, to fight back yeah, for sure. Now, on a lighter note, we lost a lot of celebrities. <laughs> on a lighter note, death. Uh, in 2016. Here's a partial list of people uh, that have passed away uh, who are famous. David Bowie, Sharon Jones, Leonard Cohen, Fife Dog, Muhammad Ali, Prince, Leon Russell, Arnold Palmer, Florence Henderson, Gene Wilder, Alan Rickman, Gordy Howe, Patty Duke, Gary Shandling... My hero, Gary Shandling. Gary Marshall. I have a Shandling tattoo on my body. You have a Gary Shandling yeah, tattoo? Yeah, a fact. Let's see Where? It. Where is it? I don't want to show it. Never mind. You is can't that, just is that a post that truth fact? show everyone. What are you talking oh, that's about? That's a true fact. I'll show anyone after who wants to see it. Where, can you just what body part is it on? On my uh, right tricep. What's a tricep? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't... You have to hit the gym. I haven't been to the <laughs> gym. <laughs> It's under your bicep. Under your bicep. Okay, I guess I'll want to see that later, maybe. Uh, where was I? Gary Shandling, Gary Marshall, Morley Safer, uh, Sir George Martin, Merle Haggard, Abe Vigoda, Fidel Castro, many more. So uh, this was a thing. Uh, people talked a lot about how this was a, a, a high body count for uh, beloved strangers. And um, I, I want to ask each of, each of you on the panel, among people you admired but didn't know personally, Whose death rattled you most? Why don't we start with uh, Laura? Do you have uh, an idea here? Well, Bowie, mostly because a month before, I predicted his death. Oh. I didn't remember doing this, but someone told me that I said that. Like, we're talking about who are, like, the, you know, the, the last standing rock stars that we know, like, who's going to die? Like, Keith Richards, No. Who is this friend of yours that you sit around <laughs> I talk about this a lot. Like, huh. like icons who were like the biggest icons. Like our generation, you know, is Bieber like a, an icon? Like the same Just, as... Justin Bieber? Yeah, is he oh. the same level of icon as like, y like Mick Jagger? I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Um, I mean, so it, 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 it does depend on who you talk to, right? Yeah, he might be bigger. Yeah, he's now Bieber. bigger. Bieber's pretty huge. Bieber's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. I guess it's hard to tell but, in the moment, for sure. I like Mick Jagger more, but... Yeah. I like Mick Jagger more, too. Uh, qualitatively. Yeah. <laughs> qualitatively. Yeah. Not, probably not, I don't know. No, yeah. But it, yeah. it rattled me because I, I woke up and looked at my friend. She just got a text, and I looked at her, and just my, I was just like, did Bowie die? She's like, yeah. And it was just... I had no idea. It was the oh, first you didn't thing even... Wow, you so sensed just, like, it. Wow. Yes. 
uh, what do you think is going to happen to me? Am I okay? <laughs> so now I just try and like predict celebrities' deaths, and I don't tell anyone, but it's a... Anybody yeah, can just quietly off. predict stuff and say they did it if they don't tell anyone. True, okay. That's well, not really... I, I, a, that's like a trick. Yeah. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. It's a very awful thing to talk about. Like, no, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, gr- yeah. It's, that's why it's we're deranged. talking about it, I guess. But Yeah, no, but that, it rattled me. And yeah. I, yeah. It's funny that you had an eerie moment with Bowie's death because that Sunday, like without even knowing anything, my friend and I were just like watching live videos from the Low tour and listening to Boris Eza, and we were like, huh, this sounds like a funeral song. And then the next morning we texted each other and we were like, what did we do? <laughs> no. Well, it's an interesting point because Bowie himself knew he was going. Uh, if, for those of you who don't know, he put out this record, Black Star. He released some videos uh, for the record. He was sick. He was dying of cancer. But he left a lot of clues within the videos and within the artwork. Still, every like two months, there's a new story about something that people have discovered. It's not even, it doesn't seem like conspiracy theories. They just discover stuff in the artwork that, that's a little trick and a little indication that maybe he knew his days were numbered. So, I mean, he had, he was term, or he wasn't terminally ill. I think he was in remission, actually. For a period of time, yeah. And so his producer, Tony Visconti, was like, oh, sweet, like Bowie back in action. And it was actually Bowie on reservation who told Tony Visconti, this was in the spring, like, yes. let's wait and see. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Laura, and uh, take it easy on uh, predicting people's deaths, because you might Not have stopping. a sad, sad gift, <laughs> frankly. All right, uh, who should we go to next? Uh, Leah, how about you? Do you was there a, a death, a celebrity death, I suppose, or a political death that uh, spoke to you personally? Um, I would say there was an Inuit artist who died this year. Her name was Annie Fudugug, and she died kind of... Uh, in circumstances that they haven't mm-hmm. really figured out yet. Um, and I think that that death affected me more than any other death this year. Um, I don't generally react to like celebrity deaths, um, even if I appreciate their work, but this case was, um, they suspect maybe foul play, but they haven't fully gone through the investigation um, yet. And there was an Ottawa police officer who wrote like racist comments about her death on Facebook about like indigenous people being um, often drunk and thus more likely to die. Um, And I think that that was something I found really heartbreaking because this was an artist whose work is in the collection at the National Gallery and she won the Sobey Award, which is one of the biggest (laughs) art awards in the the country. And yet she was like really struggling. And that, you know, she joins the large number of missing and murdered indigenous women um, who, whose lives we haven't been able to uh, track or, or um, like pay attention to the struggles that they endured when they were, when they were living. So that one really hit me hard. I appreciate that. Uh, you did say something interesting there. You're normally not invested in celebrity deaths, even if you admire them. Uh, that sounds cold to me. <laughs> but you, you could be completely immersed in a certain artist's work and they could pass away and you're like, oh, oh well, that's you? Is that you in a nutshell? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you just create a, a I like, distance? I actually thought about it a lot when you kind of talked about it as a potential topic because I was like, shit, like, what am I going to say? Um, and then I thought, I don't know, like, I, I compare it to maybe like falling in love that like maybe if you haven't fallen in love, you like don't know when, you're fall- when you've fallen in love in subsequent uh, interactions. So, okay, just, like, stay with me here. I'm, try- I'm just trying to follow this. <laughs> I haven't had, like, a death that's, like, close to me or personal to me. In, your, like, in your life, in, in your actual life, life. Yeah. 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 And so maybe it's, like, one of those situations where, like, in, in, in some, like, more speculative moments in my life, I've thought about, like, how I would react to a death. And it's, it's, it's such a, like, it's such a... Because I haven't felt death close it's to like me. It's like an maybe abstract concept almost. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So it's like it doesn't really hit me in the same way. And also, like, their work endures. Like, I used to live around the block from Leonard Cohen in Montreal uh, when he was an older man. And, like, 
he saw me several times like in the park like one time I was like stuffing my garbage into the one of the city garbages because I would always like miss garbage day and he like smirked at me <laughs> so, but like so I feel like that's like kind of a personal story but I still like it, it doesn't like his work is what matters to me in a way and it's not that would have been a poignant Facebook post. I know, I thought Everyone's about it, I thought like, about it. Then I felt like I was just like collecting likes off this man's death, yeah. and you know, I can't, I can't do that. Okay, no, that's an interesting perspective. And I do sometimes feel silly uh, when I'm publicly mourning someone I don't know, but if I am sort of invested in their work, it does hurt. I really appreciate when other people do it. I just feel like I can't, in good conscience, like pretend that it, it is sure. impacting me in a way that it's not. Well, let me ask you this, have you ever been in love? I don't think so. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> <coughs> Freddie. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I share some similar sentiments, um, but as far as other people, like I haven't really, you know, done like a Facebook post about a death or anything like that. But for me, it was Prince. Um, yeah. I really appreciated Prince's work. Uh, I loved him as an artist. Uh, I loved his music. I thought he was also like, you know, hilarious and, you know, an extravagant person. Um, very much like a, you know, a trendsetter. And I think what, I wouldn't say rattled me about his death, but what I was kind of consumed with was he had so many, so, he had so much music that was hidden, um, so many videos that nobody saw. Right, the archives? So many, yeah, the archives. Yeah. The, uh, there's so many live performances. Um, he was a big philanthropist. Uh, there's just lots and lots of cool stuff came out about Prince. Yeah. Um, after his death, so I found myself like, you know, the week after, two weeks after, listening to a lot of Prince records and kind of consuming a lot of Prince uh, stuff. Like, I'm, I've actually uh, had a puppet um, modeled after Prince. Just to, uh, just to clarify, you are a puppeteer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am a puppeteer, but... <laughs> Not just a... I'm, I just, just, I'm just a weirdo. Um, no, yeah. uh, but yeah, so it's purple. Like that's a job you have. It's, it's a job I have. You do it I for do a living. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I found myself kind of like using that puppet a lot in, in, uh, in the wake of Prince's death. Right. Not, not in like a sad, well, like a, I don't know. You know, I'm just making myself sound weirder and weirder as this goes along. So yeah. you know what? That's who I am. And that's uh, who Prince was. Yeah, that's who Prince was. He was like a weird little puppet. Yeah. <laughs> right? I think we can all agree. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Freddie. Uh, who do we have? Did you go? Jill? Uh, I touched on Bowie a bit, and I would say that at first I was like, oh, well, Bowie dying, that's, that's going to be the worst part of 2016. The right, because it happened like first week of January. Yeah. It's, it's like a bad omen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a joke on Twitter where it's like, I'm not saying that David Bowie was holding the fabric of the universe together, but... Right, yeah. And there's truth to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So his was, for you too, that was a big one? I would say, at first, I was gravitating towards Bowie, but as soon as other artists uh, succumbed to cancer, or battled cancer, we saw Sharon Jones, uh, more recently, still alive, still kicking, and still touring, Gord Downey, and it really just made me think... Uh, my dad's in remission, and all of those deaths or afflictions with cancer made me think, like, it's not just artists. Like, we're, we're pretty selfish. We're like, oh, I'll never be able to see X, Y, Z live again. But, like, people have lost their dads, or they're about to lose their brother yeah. or their best friend. But the, the upside to all that is that cancer especially gives you this weird power and to borrow from the hip again, this inevitability of death where you can use it to your advantage, where you can put in so much life into the year or years you have left. So to see how much beautiful work has come out of uh, the Secret Path project for Chani Wedgnack, uh, if I said that right, sorry if I mm -hmm. pronounced it wrong. But yeah, to see all the beautiful work coming out, Sharon Jones was still touring, David Bowie to put out another album, there's, there's a great power in that finality. Yeah, well put, thank you. Uh, John, bring us home. Oh yeah, uh, well I wanna say garishly that because I'm a journalist, I materially profited off of so much death this Same, year. Same, yeah. Because I yeah, uh, yeah. editors would be like, oh, can you write an appreciation yeah. of so-and-so? By the way, your Leonard Co has anyone read John Semley's Leonard Cohen piece in the Globe and Mail? 
It was okay. unbelievable. Really well done. I, uh, I really and I hadn't slept in three days at that point because I was up since the election happened. Um, That's right. Yeah. Anyways, but the big one for me, uh, and maybe this will sound rich or something, but was Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. But again, kind of like I said, I mean, he was like an old guy and he was really sick and there's kind of like a sigh of relief. Uh, but to me, he was always one of like the world historical heroes and like the freest person that like I could ever conceive of in my mind, always did things his own way. Uh, you know, when you look at the movement politically that he was sort of entering into, I think he's as important as like Dr. King or Malcolm X. I agree. Uh, and also just so funny. Uh, I don't even really care about boxing that much. Like <laughs> that was it. He was bigger than his sport. Yeah, he was huge. Uh, yeah, and yeah. he was. I don't know. There's just something about uh, never letting anyone define you, and always doing things on your own terms, and always being a smartass. That was the saddest thing about him late in life. Is like he couldn't talk, and it's like yeah. this super witty, sharp guy. If I can get sappy for a second. I remember after 9-11, Muhammad Ali like, came out on TV. He was accepting the Presidential Medal of Freedom, I think. And he gave this like, halting, stuttery speech about how Islam is a religion of love. Right. And it's not about hatred. And I would have been in like, 10th grade at the time. And I'm like, this is like, the bravest thing I've ever seen a person do. Like, that's when like, people were calling that like, if you're Islamic, you should be shipped off like now, basically. Uh, and you know, yeah. beheaded and all this. And he, I don't know, just having balls like that is crazy. Yeah. Uh, we should all be so lucky. I'm going to cheer for Muhammad Ali. Figurative balls. I agree. It did seem like everyone I wrote a high school essay about passed away. Like almost every Muhammad Ali, Fidel Castro. I was really worried about great white sharks. <laughs> Frankly. By the way, did I miss... Did Tommy Ramone pass away this year? Does anyone... Do we have any punks here? Mickey Fitz from The Business died yesterday. That's right, I saw yeah. that. Anyway, it's I, Tommy did? Yeah, he was the drummer, yeah. So I neglected to mention Tommy. Huge influence on me as well. All right, we are running kind of out of time here. I do want to touch upon something that Jill said because uh, it impacted me personally. And I don't know if it's worth expanding upon, but I am curious, given who's up here, this Gord Downey hip situation was fascinating to me. Um, I grew up liking the band. I grew up liking Gord. I grew up uh, getting to know Gord a little bit. Like, I get to see him, and we talk sometimes, and everything was fine. Uh, but I was kind of surprised by how many people rallied around the band uh, as this... I mean, I guess they, they've always been something of a symbol of patriotism, but I'm just curious. Did, did anyone here feel weird about that or have any opinions on, on that situation? Yeah, well, I, I definitely don't want to be insensitive, but there there was a feeling that a certain type of Canada was celebrate was like was grieving. Um, White and, people. Yeah, uh, kind of, and and I don't know, but yeah, I feel like also I, I I feel like that was it's it's a it was a communal grieving that um, I don't know what the exact benefit from uh, taking away from that would be. But um, I did kind of feel um, both of those things. Like, it was this beautiful grieving moment, but at the same time, there was a large part of Canada that wasn't really connecting to it. Right. But um, then a lot of... I mean, it was one of the most watched... Their, yeah, their, 18 million. Their or... final concert was broadcast on the CBC, and it was one of the most watched yeah. television events uh, in history or something mm-hmm. like that. So that kind of spoke to something. It just... There was, like, a mania... I mean, again, like, I, I was fortunate. I went to five of the shows, and uh, I got to see them, and they were great, and I felt all sorts of things about, like Jill was saying, like, it kind of brought me home to people I know, uh, you know, seeing this guy struggling but doing it, and it, it reminded, it, 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 it conjured perseverance and courage, and, and then that communal thing you get sometimes when you go to see a concert. Like, I've, I've never felt the feelings I've felt that I have felt at like a Kanye West and Jay-Z show. Like that communal spirit yeah. in a room is like something, it's hard to even explain. And, and for him to follow up with Secret Path was yeah. also is an added element um, that was like really beautiful. And- right, and so you had, what happened was, I, the reason I bring this up, and I'm not just trying to stoke controversy, but I think we have an interesting panel up here. A lot of people spoke to the issue of not feeling like this was something for them the hip, uh, and then you had Gord, you have Gord, 
uh, trying to use his time to spread the word about an issue that some people are like, why is, this, why is it that it took a white guy to bring this issue to light? Does anyone have any thoughts about this? I, I will say that I'm one of those people who uh, took a lot of shit because I don't care about that band and their music doesn't mean anything to me. But the fact that he's like using his last breath to do stuff like this is good. You're right that there's a certain narrative with these things. I think actually Vicky Lean talked about this on The Imposter, someone on The Imposter talked about this, about how like the narratives around peace and reconciliation are like, oh, well, a white person learned about Native history. Like, this is amazing. And it's like, no, it's not. Um, but I think that as like a corollary to everything happening with the Tragically Hip is fine. But just personally, uh, I hate that. Like, I hate the idea that there's like a monoculture, and I yeah. hate that like so many people were watching this. Like, that's the worst thing about Canada to me. Like, I like this idea that we're sort of a diverse mosaic with different interests and identities, and we all sort of try to get along. Uh, and I think that we have this really desperate wannabe American desire to be like, well, this is our Springsteen or the world, you know, Olympic hockey is our baseball. And it's like, whatever, if you enjoy it, that's fine. But we don't need to sort of have these huge unifying ideas. Is that just a media thing? Is that just the media struggling to well, come up Well, the media has invented all the fuss about Canadian national identities since like the 1960s. Yeah, you could probably blame Tim Hortons a little bit too. On the... Oh, the, uh, Tim Hortons just seems like they're pumping their version of Canada. With, right, right. Sorry, that came out of left field, but... No, that's fine. I feel like you can Say blame the Tim Hortons sponsorship. Stuff, yeah. yeah, I know. I had, what if they were a sponsor? What am I going to do? All right, well, I thank you very much. Anybody else? Anybody have any thoughts on the hip and, and, and this power of music type situation we had going on there? Aaliyah? I feel like it's, it's like an imperfect situation that this like, powerful white man is speaking to indigenous issues and I like people who, who I know who work for in like indigenous service organizations have felt complicated about the fact that it took this person for everyone to pay attention but I think that like people need an empowering narrative to to feel compelled to stand behind something and sometimes nationalism is that empowering narrative and yeah. I think as Canadians like we are starved we I don't know like I don't give a fuck about nationalism but I think a lot of people like want to feel empowered in that way and and that a lot of like indigenous people will say like we'll take it kind of thing because it's it's what we we have you know yeah. and 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 I did really appreciate that like for the secret path like I looked into getting tickets after um, I found out that like it was happening and it was like a thousand dollars to buy a ticket or something but then a lot of like service organizations got a bunch of free tickets to give to survivors and um, that gesture, I mean, you know, he could do anything with the power he has. Yes, exactly. And, and the fact that he's done this isn't nothing. Yeah. Well, listen, we're running out of time. I, I do want to talk a little bit about this city, since most of you live in Toronto. And um, I don't know that we have time to go into the past. But uh, based on everything we've talked about and all the lessons we've learned, how are we going to have a good 2017 in Toronto, you guys? How do you think we're going to... Make it good. Because I know uh, coming from Guelph, I have to pay a toll now. That's great. Thanks. No, I've, uh, but that's fine. I can pay the toll. Can I say real quick that I think that we should feel bad and that it's okay to feel bad and that it's okay to live in a constant state of melancholy and be self-critical and self-examining and feel guilty because we should feel guilty because the world is garbage and we're all complicit in it. So we shouldn't think about feeling good. And to that end, not just for Toronto, where we've already seen white supremacist posters spring up, but we, one of the morals of this discussion is we all need to be good bystanders. We can't be the silent person of privilege if our friends who are marginalized are being berated. If we see someone on the TTC getting berated for wearing a hijab, we have to now not just sit there in awkwardness, but we have to not be afraid of making it awkward because there's so many worse things to happen, like being marginalized. So we have to speak up, we have to, one of the simplest things you can do if you see someone being berated because of the color of their skin or something like that is to pretend you don't know where the bathroom is and just interrupt the situation. Some little actions as simple as that can help diffuse a situation. We can't just be staring and going and meeting up with our friends and being like, oh, that was unfortunate. Well, no, it's unfortunate that we don't intervene in more of these situations. Hmm. All right. Anybody else want to say anything about how great Toronto is going to be in 2017? <laughs> 
Freddy? Oh, yeah, it's going to be the best. No, uh, I think we need to stay angry and uh, protest and um, do what you can, when you can, based on who you are and your privilege, and um, just not accept awful realities or be complicit in um, anyone else's suffering. Like, it's, it's really important that you stay vigilant with your friends, with your family, with the shows you're doing, with the spaces you're performing in. Yeah. Everything. Um, and, you know, uh, listen to people, uh, forgive people. You, you just, yeah. All right. I agree. I agree. All right. Unless anyone else has anything else to add, I think I might wrap this up. I'm just going to ask each of the panelists to do a little one-sentence or two-sentence uh, plug for something you've got uh, coming out, or if people can learn more about you and... On the internet or something, or uh, John, you've got your book. Yeah, I have a book. I guess it's about the kids in the hall comedy troupe, and uh, you can buy that if you want. Uh, oh, and also I have an article coming out in a couple weeks, like a week, about this guy who used to go through Bob Dylan's trash. Yeah, AJ uh, Weberman. AJ Weberman, and he's so interesting. And I think it's—I worked really hard on it, and I think Salon is publishing it oh. the day of the Dylan Nobel Prize. So instead of reading about like. Uh, Fancy people saying why Dylan's a genius. You could read an article about a guy who used to like ritually root through his garbage and harass him on the telephone in 1971. It's the feel-good story of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Weberman's an icon, uh, man. I know, I know. Thank you, John. All right, uh, Laura, Twist. What's going on with Twist? Yeah, um, we just put out an album on Buzz Records called Spectral. I'm much more musical than I am talkative. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, so you can buy those tape. Great record. Buy my tape. It's a great record. And you're playing it's, here tonight. For yeah, those... we're playing at 11. Nice. All right, that'll be fun. Uh, Jill? <laughs> I have a piece going live on Noisy early next week about uh, the, co the complexities of opening mental health conversation on social media. We have a lot of artists like Zane, Kid Cudi, uh, Bruce Springsteen who've opened up on mental health, and social media has been such a valuable tool for it, but it's also opened up a myriad of precautions. We can't just speculate on someone like Kanye West, what they're going through in order to have clickbait. We need to let everyone open up on mental health on their own terms and check in on each other. So that's coming out uh, next week. And also our year-end album reviews and all that. So there'll be fun stuff. We talked a lot about death in music, but there's so much life and so much to look forward to next year too. Cool. What's the website? Noisy. Noisy dot um, Noisy.com. Okay, good. Glad you guys got that domain. Aaliyah? Mine was kind of a giveaway in the intro, but yeah, uh, I host a weekly arts and culture podcast called The Imposter. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, you can check it out. Subscribe on iTunes. It's Canada Land's new arts and culture podcast. And we're also always looking for freelance contributors, so if anyone has a cool, like, weird story, alt history of something cultural in Canada that they want to pitch or like some kind of short segment, email us. Nice. Thank you very much. Oh, how do they email you? What do they, where do they email? Oh, uh, they can email my producer because I don't read emails <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, Kevin at CanadaLandShow.com. Okay, great. Aaliyah. Freddie, what's going on in the land of puppetry? Uh, I'm actually doing a kids puppetry show. Uh, in uh, the Pia Bowman Theater, um, but you can't come because it's only for kids. Okay. So. But wait, I have yeah. I have kids. Can I bring my kid? Um, kids? Yeah, shoot me a message. Can I though. bring one of them? Yeah, bring bring one of them. Um, and bring the other if you can. It's my daughter Ramona's <laughs> second birthday today. Woo! <laughs> that was like 30 likes on Facebook right there. Yeah, that's huge, man. Thank you very much. All right. Um, so yeah, would. Yeah, I, uh, I, I run a monthly show, Rap Battles. Uh, the next, um, next show's uh, uh, next Friday, December 9th at December the Comedy 9th, Bar. Okay. Um, also run a basketball podcast, uh, so follow us on Twitter, at Dunks Podcast. Uh, Confederacy of Dunks is, is the podcast. Um, and uh, follow me on Twitter, at Freddie Rivas. Nice. All right, listen, uh, this show, Creative Control of Vishkana, is available on iTunes and audioboom.com. You can also go to my website, vishkana.com, and learn how to... Listen to every episode. We're almost at 300 episodes. Uh, 150 of them were pretty decent. And uh, also, we have a Patreon page. You can go to patreon.com. And if you want to uh, pledge money to keep the podcast going, that would be great. Uh, also, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Long Winter. How about a hand for Long Winter for coming back? And uh, yeah, we're going to be doing more Long Night stuff. We're going to be doing a taping on uh, Monday, December 19th 
at the Great Hall uh, downstairs. That's going to be filmed uh, by a company, and uh, they're called Bell Media. And so we're going to have some guests, and that's going to be fun. So we hope you'll come out. That's in the evening. You can keep an eye on my website for more information about that. And uh, more episodes of my show are coming up soon. And long winter is happening, and I want you all to go have a good time. And how about a giant round of applause for yourselves and this panel. And good night, everybody. Thanks for listening and watching. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.